0: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. Rest day for the riders, no rest for the wicked, aka me and Benji Nison here. The uh, rat thing is fully decked out today and yesterday. This show, this rest day recap, is supported by our show partner, LaCole, who produced performance cycling apparel you can see their discount code, or our discount code for them down below. We've got a jam-packed recap. We've got an interview with Swift Academy winner turned now beating Bernal and Lagunas to Mount mountaintop finishes at Burgos. Jay Vine, the young Australian, caught up with him. Uh, he had to leave the, the team hotel or oh, the hotel to get better Wi on the bus. So that's at the end. We've got timestamps if you're listening on YouTube. A really interesting interview, talks tactics um, and even some insight into what happened in that big, strong stage seven breakaway. We're going to recap the winners of each stage, preview uh, the next second week to come, the next five or six stages, and uh, yeah, talk KOM and tactics. So let's get into it, Benji. Well, first of all, what, what are you doing today? What What do you do on a Monday?
1: So I'm basically at work and uh, this is oh. my lunch break.
0: <laughs> well, on that note, if you feel sorry for Benji, which I don't, uh, but <laughs> yes, if you either. do, <laughs> you can help us out a lot by giving us a review or a rating on podcast players, particularly on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening really. You can like the YouTube video or subscribe to the YouTube channel if that's where you listening, because a lot of extra work goes into those videos. Or you can, we have a Ko-fi link where you can tip us a coffee. Or there's a super thanks, which Benji reminded me exists on YouTube, We can tip us with a comment. But yeah, liking and sharing with your friends is the most helpful. But Benji stage uh, first week, won One first stage prologue, Phillips and first sprint. Tarame pick on Blanco with not too much GC action really. Jakobsen the, the second sprint on stage four, Phillips and the sprint after that. Magnus Court, one of the most exciting wins on uh, Montaña de Collera on that 2K 8% climb. Roglic uh, looking pretty good. Then the Stora DSM dominant win on Stage 7, no GC gaps again. Stage 8, Jakobsen really dominating win. Then Stage 9, the Damiana Caruso 70K solo with the most GC action except for the prologue, I guess. Which stage stands out for for you the most out of the first week?
1: I think Stage 7 was the one I uh, enjoyed the most personally. I enjoyed the tactics that played into people trying to get in the breakaway. The breakaway itself, trying to fight each other. We've got the soap with Syvakov and Storer that stays in my mind and so forth. (laughs) And In general, it didn't have the craziest gaps. I think that's the story of this entire first week. It's not like we have 10 minute gaps like in the tour, but the tour was a bit of an exception. But I think that the story is mainly that some people have lost the Grand Tour here and not necessarily have won it. So for example, at Carapaz, we now know that he's not in the form of the Tour de France nor the Olympics, and that it's unlikely that he's going to end up on the podium of this of this Grand Tour, for example. And the same for Vlasov and Landa that are showing clear cracks in their, uh, in their fighting story here. And there's a few riders that we expected more of, there's a few riders that are overperforming. And that is the, the enjoyable part about this first week, is that nothing is decided. We do have an indicator of who is the strongest rider in the race, but that can still change over the course of the next two weeks.
0: Here's the revised GC standings that Benji was alluding to. Roglic leading 28 seconds ahead of Mass, 121 ahead of Lopez, so it is a decent gap out to third. Then Haig in fourth on 142, 10 seconds ahead of Bernal, and 152, who is 15 seconds ahead of Adam Yates, his teammate, on sixth at 2.07. Chicone is actually hanging quite tight, 2.39 in 7th, Koos 2.40 in 8th, at 3.25, De La Cruz at 3.55 in 10th, the same time as Vlasov, Gino Medo at 4 minutes, Louis Menkes, who I said we talked about yesterday, he's doing a very, very good job, uh, 13th on 4.05, I think we can, he can sneak a top 10 here, Aru on 4.36, then Landa all the way down at 5 minutes and 47 pretty much. Out of the GC picture, so that brings me to to tactics, Benji, and uh, I want to talk about Ineos first. Do you think? Why is it, okay, here's, here's how here's how a multi leader strategy works on a final mountain. In theory, one rider attacks, the leader Roglic has to close, and then the other leader gets to sit in the draft if they're you know on Roglic <laughs> and gets brought back. Here's the problem with that: Roglic has a 30-second 30 snap that is. It doesn't work because no one can stay on his wheel when he snap closes. We saw Mas try to hang; it. he's like, "Nope," and wrote his own pace. The second problem with that is you can't do it when he still has teammates, and they did that yesterday when he had CrossFak and Kooz. So, but the main problem is, is it's difficult to do it with Roglic. Where do you see the way for Ineos to put pressure on Roglic, Benji? Is it is waiting for the final climb even realistic, um, or is it crosswinds again, which they've been trying, or? Do they just have to hope he cracks one day?
1: I think they have a, a problem at their hands because it's a big challenge for them to find a strategy that works against Roglic and his team right now. In the first week, we fought Yumbo. okay. They don't seem like the strongest in the first few mountain stages, but they held on quite nicely on stage seven and nine. On nine, perhaps the strongest of the two stages. And I've got the feeling that they're certainly growing into some kind of form and that that is offering up a bit of a, a counter portrayal against the fact that other teams might try and go early on stages. So, for example, in Ineos, if they go early with one of their riders in a, in a stage, Jumbo seems to be able to control something like that at the moment, and that is an issue with that strategy and those strategies. And next to that, the fact that Movistar is also sitting on two and three, they're going to play defensively against everybody that, is fighting against that podium spot. So if Vinyas, for example, decides to put Carapaz in a breakaway, well, Carapaz in a breakaway means that Movistar will pace, but in this specific <laughs> situation, I mean that Movistar will probably end up doing something because they want to save their podium spot. Now, with Carapaz, they probably wouldn't care anymore because he's like 11 minutes behind. Yeah. But when, when we're looking at a, a Yates and a Bernal, they're going to respond to that as well. Perhaps they might try and... Nah, they, they probably won't uh, say to Roglic, oh, "You can close it." That's that's a bit on Movistar like, despite their strategy in the first week being relatively good overall. Now, looking at the next two weeks for Ineos, week two, we have perhaps two hilly stages, and for the rest, it's not extreme climbing stage. I think stage fourteen is the one where climbing starts again, and that is in roughly uh, six days. So, if Bernal can get into a decent form in six days, that relatively stay with Roglic in certain points, then the strategy of Yates attacking and Savol might play a role. But it's unlikely that that will happen. I've got the feeling that Ineos' problem is mainly that their leaders are not good enough, and they're not good enough compared to Roglic. The difference is so obvious that I don't think it's as big as we think.
0: I think I think Yates' shape is good.
1: I don't think now the the problem with Yates for me is that. I don't trust his third week. The only Grand Tour where Yates has been able to hang on in the third week was 2016 Tour de France where nobody attacked except for Bardet on one of the mountain stages. So (laughs) I I swear if shit goes down in week three, I don't trust Yates. And perhaps that's a me problem. Perhaps that Ineos had completely changed and he's a reborn person and he's the Messiah that will bring Ineos to to a podium here. But right now, I don't have... Ineos in the top two teams to take a podium right now.
0: Adam Yates has spent a lot of energy to lose, to be on two minutes 07 at the first rest day. Pick on Blanco attacks into the headwind multiple times. Mark Budun yep. closes him, gets nothing. On the crosswind stage into Montagna de Collera, when Ineos split it, he was at the back, which is that's where he rides. That's his fault. And I think he got gapped a bit. That cost him, he lost, I think, then 20 seconds, and they hard paced at the bottom. So Ineos my view, cost Yates time there. I think on stage seven, he on the Alcante uh, Bal, <laughs> Balcon di Alicante stage, he just sort of paced the group in, with yeah. didn't really do anything, just paced them in. I was like, okay, fair enough. Um, then yesterday, he does these meme attacks with Robert having two teammates. Like, sorry, you're not going to put Robert under pressure yeah. three three k's into a climb. Exactly, like, you, you're not. So I think he's actually in good shape. I just think that. He's cost himself
1: a lot. Do you think that Ineos going so hard to win this race is reducing their chance of getting on the podium? Because I've got a feeling that that is the case while Movistar is less trying to go for the that. victory and more going for the podium.
0: I disagree that Movistar aren't going for the victory. They attacked yeah? with Valverde halfway through a stage trying to that, bring out Jumbo Isma. I think Movistar made Ineos attack with Yates yesterday. They allowed him to, and then they countered with Maas. Enric Maas, sorry, if you believe that Enric Maas would have dropped Adam Yates head-to-head on the climb yesterday if Yates rode conservatively. I don't know what to say to you. Um, Yates attacked three times, starting with 10Ks to go. Mass is in the wheels, all climb, all climb riding steady. Lopez is bridging him up. Lopez Lopez on a very good level bridging him back to things. Mass, perfect timing, sees Yates has done his third attack, hits it. So... So Haig rode the opposite to Yates. Haig rode. You look at his power, he's normalised compared to his, you know, his average. Very steady on this climb, opposite to Ku. So I think the problem, Benji, is they've been riding as if Bernal is top level Bernal. And if I want to do a little bit of back analysis, if I look at the interview yesterday, the way he entered that seat, he winced. Um, I had it in the video yesterday. He comes, sits down, a little bit of a wince. Oh, and I know, as someone, I broke my back, and the people saying he didn't get out of the saddle once on that climb yesterday. Didn't get out of the saddle once. I know when I was rec- recovering from my back fracture, I could ride three hours in the saddle, but if you hit one bump or if you try to get out of the saddle and accelerate, that can twinge it and be a problem. So maybe we're on Bernal backwatch. watch. Um, but yeah, any last thoughts on Ineos before we talk about uh, Movistar,
1: Benji? No, I think they've got a, a rough challenge ahead of them and I think that I don't trust the eights for the third week. I don't trust Bernal for the third week. And if we can't trust both of their leaders for the third week, then they have a problem for the third week. Mercenary Carapaz. (laughs) In the second week, it's unlikely that they will lose huge gaps of time. So they've got a few days to figure out a strategy against Roglic. But perhaps the option is in the second week where an opportunity for an echelon, like you said, might be the option because that is where something might play a role. Because we've seen... Three times already where in the final kilometers before sprints and so forth, positioning of Roglic is not ideal. Uh one he's time. Nearly where crash it twice. Was good. Yeah, he's near the clash twice, that's true. And that might cost Roglic at a certain point, and that might come into play. We don't hope that someone at the top of GC crashes out and stuff, but if their position is 75% into the Peloton with 5k to go and they are caught up by a crash, then it's kind of their own fault at that point. Now I think that Echelons and potentially something in the last five kilometers happening are the likely weakness of Roglic in the second week, but I've got the feeling that there's other teams that are having more trouble with Echelons than Roglic. For example, Ciccone, who has been called out by Echelons already this week. Now, he's obviously not the the epitome of a podium candidate here yet. I uh, haven't seen that yet but he's still hanging on to seven, for example. So he's uh, definitely performing relatively well for what a lot of people expected from him. When it comes to Ineos, I think that they have to try with echelons and they will have to try and keep Bernal and Yates safe for a week and hope that in the third week they can figure out a viable strategy of beating, uh, beating Roglic. But I even have a hard time to figure out what they could do in week three because Roglic at current form will be almost impossible to beat for them unless something happens.
0: And it's not even just Roglic. There's the elephant in the room, Movistar. And yeah. before we get into the winners, I think, of this first week, being Jumbo, Visma and Movistar, a note on our show partner, Lacole they produce performance cycling apparel. If you're interested, if you've got a club or a group of friends anywhere around the world and you want custom kit, Lacole have been producing custom kit sustainably for a few years now. It's the same material produced That they provide for drops, Lacole, women's professional team. Wanna check it out? It's at www.lacole.cc. There's also a sale at the moment. If you wanna use our code LRVuelta20, that's LRVuelta20, all caps, you can pick up Lacole kit with some outrageous discounts, which applies on top of already discounted items at 20% off. So thanks, Lacole, for supporting the podcast. But the winners of the first week, Benji, Roller's didn't crash. Roglic is leading GC by thirty seconds on Mass. Koos is even at two forty. Jumbo Visma got to be pretty happy. I don't think we need to analyze it too much. It's just you know they rode pretty, pretty smart. No no real issues. I want to about Movistar. You know they they're the ones in the prime position. If Roglic has an issue, not Ineos. They're at se- they're at second and third. They've got the strong ruler team. Although they lost Jakobs. I think. Yeah, I think Movistar are pretty well poised, Benji. Despite the loss of Valverde, they've got Verona looking good. Do you think they're going to try? Do you think they're going to be content with the podium? Because I don't think they are. I think they're going to get pretty hungry for the win, actually, and and try and put pressure on Roglic if they can.
1: I think Mars himself wants to win this race. I think that Lopez seems to be the, uh, the more offensive candidate. In the same way that we've got Bernal and Yates, we have Maas and Lopez for me. Lopez is the more offensive candidate that attacks more in the stages, while Maas usually sits on a bit more unless he sees an opportunity like yesterday and tries to use that to gain more time when it's clear that he can make that move without too much risk. And I have the feeling that, again, in the next week, it's unlikely that they can make a big move. But once the mountains start in week three, they've got options ferona indeed as a satellite rider but they didn't lose indeed lose two of their riders so far and that might cost them when it comes to strategies but i've got the feeling that their team here is still strong enough to try something on those stages now will they try and do something very risky and go pretty far out with lopez i find that extremely hard to believe except for like a second last climb where the last climb is not as huge for example but we don't actually have that too much in this race if you look at the third week. So the next mountain stage, for example, is a uh, is that stage 14 where we've got Pico Villarcas as the final climb. I think it's roughly 15K of climbing. And there's basically that very steep section in the middle of the stage, then a valley with rough rolling terrain. And then it's the last climb. I, I don't see Lopez attacking on a stage like that personally, so I'd be looking more at a, a stage 15 where he could do that on the, uh what is it, Puerto de Mijares or something? Yes, that second last climb, because the last climb is a shorter one, and that offers more of an opportunity to go on the second last climb. I think that stage 15 might be a, a pretty crazy stage, and I'd love to uh, see Lopez attack on that second last climb, for example, with Verona being in the breakaway to help him out in the small oh, valley afterwards. My, you stole
0: my dude.
2: <laughs> <The> Ver- <laughs>
0: <laughs> is perfect for Verona alright let's preview week uh, week 2 I think Bahrain will also be pretty happy with Haig being up there although it's funny how Benji it can feel like a disaster you know I listen to their DS speaking after this stage oh well Landa's out of GC it's like well sorry but Lander probably wouldn't have been at like 120 on GC yeah. or 150 or one, wherever Haig is 140 so like you're in a better position it's just because the name has changed it they seem to be depressed about it. I was like, don't worry about it. Anyway, stage 11. I think this might not be break, Benji. If I'm quick step, I want to give Bagioli a chance. Bike exchange, Matthews, if this is the one for Matthews. Um, if he's looking as good as he did the other day, I'd love to, Magnus Court probably try and get in the break though. But yeah, I think quick step and bike exchange should pace. And I think Jumbo Visma should lend a hand and give them a rider to control it because I think Roglic on this final ramp it's about a 800 meter punch. There's it's rolly all day. There's no real extended climbs except for some bonus seconds. Nine k's at five percent beforehand. If I'm rolling, I want to take a little bit more time and put pressure on Bernal. Test out Bernal on ex, you know the explosive sections where him and Yates haven't looked as good. Even Musk career wise hasn't been as good on these explosive sections. Or Benji, you think there's going to be break and I'm I'm digging up a nothing stage.
1: We're talking about stage 11, right? Yes. Okay. I think that's gonna be a break. (laughs) Like, I I believe that you're right about Bajoli. He can definitely do well on stage like this and he could potentially even win a stage like this from the peloton, but is the Koenig not just going to put him in the breakaway because he's far behind? True, I don't know.
0: It depends who goes. If it's a Spanish meme break, then no. (laughs)
1: Well, I think on this stage, I feel like it's going to more be more than a Spanish meme break personally. True. And a rider that I'd see going in a break like uh, on a stage like this, for example, is Cristiano Dyking. But the problem with him is that he's actually relatively close in GC on 19th. So he's been actually holding Why? on quite well. Why? And I think that 19th is not an issue because being True. in 19th will still allow Nine you minutes. to go in the breakaway. And let's say he gets in a breakaway like this and he gains six minutes, then he's in the top 10. Now, in week three, I don't think Aikin is going to keep that unless he keeps going in the breakaways. And that's how Perishina did it. His top 10 in the VLT previous years, that's how Aikin could do it. So perhaps stuff like that is quite intriguing. And I think Monkeys can do the same because while he's 13th, nobody will, will care if Mikeys is in the breakaway from the likes of a, a Movistar or a Jumbo, for example. And I doubt Gino Mater is going to start pacing in the peloton when he yeah. sees Mikeys in the breakaway. So I think... Monty could accidentally end up in the top 10 just by being in breakaways every time around. But I completely went off what we were talking about. Stage 11, I think it's going to be a breakaway personally. When it comes to Jumbo, sure, they could put Hofstede or something at the front of the peloton and start basing a bit with other teams that might be interested, like in Matris, for example. But uh, why wouldn't Matris just not go in the breakaway? Like, yeah, and why would Hofstede do that? <laughs> While Jumbo, for example... They could just as well not spend the energy that they don't keep it for week three.
0: True. I kind of agree. Now you've convinced me that, yeah, Matthew should go on a break with the court and the likes of that. Stage 12, 175Ks long. This is again Matthew's type stage. We have two yep. climbs that have pretty shallow gradient. We It's 175Ks long, 5K, 7% descent, and then another climb of 7Ks at 5.6%, although there's a 2K, 9.5% section. Descent and then a valley of about ten k's, flat sprint finish. This is the nailed-on bike exchange. Have to try for Matthew's stage, reeling in a break. But again, I'd expect Magnus or oh, in Kour- the break. Yeah, it's it's almost it's easy. Difficult, to- huh? Well, I think the, the Tour de France showed that if he's in the break, he on his own, he gets played out. The other riders yeah. will not ride with him. So it's almost better to have the big team behind controlling. To be honest, uh, but this reminds me of the Catalonia stage one stage a lot. But yeah, I think caught in the break again will be very dangerous. So I don't expect any GC action at all. To be honest, yeah,
1: I think this is a breakaway stage once again. Can they not just play two cards and, for example, put a Schultz in the breakaway standard. and keep Matthews in the peloton or stand in the breakaway? Yes, stuff like that. But this reminds me of that stage that um, who won it? Oh, where Godou Woods. was in the breakaway and Aramburu, and was it Woods? Are you, in, you talking
0: uh Tour de France this year? Oh uh Colbrelli with Conrad.
1: Yeah, yeah, Conrad won that. Yes. This reminds me of that kind of stage. I don't expect too much G C wise and they honestly shouldn't, to be honest. Like there's a steep section on the last climb, but the valley afterwards is a bit too long to go on an attack on that climb and stay where you know. Unless you've got someone in the breakaway. But who's gonna try something on this stage no. if you know that mountains are coming in the week after? So I doubt it.
0: And I have to try here. I mean, this reminds me a lot of the stage. I was thinking of these, the Welfare Stage Woods one last year, yes, where he Woods was in a break with Baba and I think Fraile of Engie. It had two climbs like this and then uh, yeah. it had a longer flat afterwards. They have to have Aaron Baruth Fraile, Luis Leon Sanchez, who was in the uh, the later, the Fuga de Fuga in that Catalonia stage one this year. So Astana have to get multiple riders in this breakaway and DSM will too, I think, nailed on break day. Stage 13, the only sprint stage of the week. Uh, it's a little uphill drag, 204 k's long. Quickly, Benji, we both agree, Fabio is is the quickest man here and it really depends on if Jasper can get a really good lead out is the only way to beat him.
1: Yeah, certainly. And um, it's going to be between the two, most likely. I do give DeMar the benefit of the doubt when it comes to he sprinted well on that one stage, but his positioning issue is a real problem and it basically makes him not competitive on the majority of the sprint stages because he's not in the position to start sprinting off at the uh, when the sprint starts. And that is both a lead-out problem but also a DeMar problem because he's not strong enough to make his way himself. And Jakobsen can do that and Philipsen has been relatively able to do that a tiny bit as well. So for me, it's Philipsen or Jakobsen. And I think that it's more likely that Jakobsen takes it because I feel like the, the Koenig train is getting a tiny bit by tiny bit better throughout this Grand Tour, figuring out how to work together a bit more. While on the last stage that Jakobsen won dominantly, sure, Jakobsen was not on the train, but the train itself did perform very well. If Jakobsen was in full wheel there in the De Koenig train, then that was a perfect lead-out. So. Yeah, I think that I'm I'm going for Jakobs on stage like this, but we're going for picks. But we already did this, I think, at some at some point.
0: <laughs> well, Guarnieri's gone, so the yeah. last lead-up man DNF yesterday. I don't know if there's, I don't know if he crashed. I hope he didn't. Um, but something not quite right at FDJ right now, um, yep. because yeah. He's been doing pretty good lead out sometimes and Tamar has been performing. Stage 14 is the real, the only mountaintop finish of this second week. It's, yeah, it's not that mount. 166Ks flat at the start. 77Ks of pretty much flat, which will make it difficult for a break to form. Jay Vine talks about break formation in a later interview on this episode. And then there's a 3K, 13.5% climb, which in the middle of the stage with 66Ks to go, which is just... outrageous (laughs) outrageous <laughs> I, I don't know I am I'm so not used to that sort of parkour in the middle of the stage I don't really know what's going to happen and then it finishes with the 14 and half k 6.3% climb I I don't really know what to expect Benji will is that a place for Ineos to try something uh, Bahrain or Movistar kind of yes to be honest if they have riders in the break ahead because there's rolling valley afterwards I would I don't know you test Roglic see what it's like if if he responds, then you can just shut it down. This is what I think, Benji. You test Roglic on the middle climb. If you see something, then you continue your action. Maybe with satellite rides up the road. Um, if he looks good, don't pace him on the final climb because then he's just going to 14k, 6%. That suits him, suits Haig. Um, but yeah, I don't I really know what to expect from this, to be honest. Do
1: you think that anyone else could try and get cut up on the breakaway and try and gain time? in the second week on a stage like this? Because do you think that Yambo will react to that if Karapaz goes?
0: I think He's 11 minutes down. They need him. You can't have Bernal closing his own gaps three Ks into yeah. a climb and a to finish any, anymore. It's, Karapaz needs to do that work, um, to be honest. I'd rather have Van Bala, who else they got? Sivakov maybe in the break uh, instead, to be honest. I think Karapaz needs to be... Riding defensively for Bernal and, and Yates yeah, in the final climb, in my view. But yeah, it should be an interesting stage. We'll see if you if you get dropped on that steep climb and the descent afterwards, and you're not able to get back on, and the break and the you know the peloton continues this action. There's a long valley there of 45, 50 kilometers where you can lose a lot of time before they even start the final climb. So yeah, it'd be interesting to watch that middle part of the stage. The last the last stage of the second week stage 15, 198 kilometers long, another hard stage. We have two Cat 1s, a Cat 2. The first climb is 15 is 5%, then 9 k is 5%, then 20.5Ks at 5.5%. There's no valleys between those climbs.
1: I and love the stage.
0: It's a great stage. And then there's like a short valley before an 8.6K, 4% climb. So teammates here are very important. There's not a mountaintop finish. It's This is the stage, Benji, where you can use numbers because it's not just a watts per kilo mountaintop finish, you know, 9% finish.
1: Yeah, this reminds me of the reason why I like the Giro end stages so much because usually in stage 20 or something, you've got a stage where the second last climb is the biggest one and then you've got a smaller climb towards the finish line or a bit of a valley section afterwards that is falls flat to the line, stuff like that, which forces people who are on a bit of a gap or gives them an opportunity to attack on the second last climb and this 20.4 kilometer Puerto de Mijares is, is perfect for that. Yes the gradients are not insane but we've seen on the Stelvio that you don't need insane gradients but then again Stelvio is high altitude so that is a quite a different thing. Now this is a stage where I do see moves happening and I don't expect it necessarily on the first two climbs. I don't see a GC rider attacking on the first two climbs but you can have satellite riders already in the group ahead. And then on the Puerto de Mijares, move with your GC rider. And it would not surprise me if everything goes down on Mijares here and we've got a whole battle from Mijares to the finish line. And that would be a, a wonderful stage to see and perhaps the Queen stage, because sure, we've got Camuniteru coming in week 3, for example, but that is a... Angliru kind of stage where it's the final climb that matters the most and most likely the last two kilometers will matter the most of that climb. And on this stage you can have action for the last 40 kilometers and that's why I prefer a stage like this over something like Kamuniteru personally because it allows more tactical play.
0: Honestly, I would... Carlos Verona just announced his contract extension <laughs> with Movistar. Really? We keep, we keep, Yeah, just to, through 2023. We keep mentioning him. You, you know he came in with Vlasov, Aru and Lopez at 3.48 yesterday, Well, two only 2 minutes 40 behind Roglic on the mountaintop finish. He is climbing really well, and this is a shallower, longer gradient. This is perfect. Movistar, if they want to win the Vuelta and try something, this yep. is the one to try. So hopefully we're bigging it up. And even – Let's let's talk. You know, Contador, Benji mentioned the Giro. Get with strong climbers like a vine or someone, and let's collaborate and maybe give you know offer up stage victories as well. We can maybe see some of that if they catch guys and break.
1: Be the offensive rider at Bahrain, knowing that Haig is the more defensive rider on paper, knowing his position.
0: That's a good call because I I think both Mater and Haig prefer like the five to six, five to seven percent climbs in their wheelhouse. Um, like these ones. So Magnus is a good one. He's a good descender too. So, yeah, I'd love to see something on this on this stage. But uh, I think we're running out of time, Benji and I, or you know, re-preview in the second stage. We'll get on now to our interview with Jay Vine, who, if you don't know, he won the Zwift Academy final last year, the end of last year in 2020. He's from Australia. I've met up with him in Australia before we both. It was weird. We met up when he was still riding at Conti Level in Australia and I was just working as a lawyer. Now we're over in Europe and we caught up in Andorra the other week. He's, going to the, he's at the Vuelta now, his first world tour race, I think, let alone Grand Tour, and we also speak a little bit about the move across to Europe, how, you know, how that affected everything and what he expects from the rest of the Vuelta. So I hope you enjoy the interview with Jay, very talented guy who's, uh, I think, going to make some waves in the next couple of years. Welcome, Jay, from the upsent Phoenix team bus escaping the hotel internet. Some of you, I've already introduced Jay, but the first thing I wanted to ask, not anything about his climbing, it's something I always wonder about, is he and James Knox, a.k.a. the climbing Tim De clerks, pulling flat breaks back, the three Spanish Pro Conti teams, keeping it at 90 seconds, what, how does that work with Knox? Do you say, okay, I'm going to do, you do 10 minutes, I do 10 minutes, is it shorter pulls? What, watts do you also need to do to keep a break gap stable?
2: Um, so I guess it depends from day to day. The, the last one that we did on stage eight, they, they tricked us a little bit. So we were pulling all day at about 300, 300 watts on the front. Um, I think we were averaging about 40 to 42 k's an hour and then in the final 50k, as we started going over the bergs, they they really started to dig a bit deeper, um, which after the sprint point, I was left on the front for a good 10 kilometers by myself um, and the brake gained an extra 20 seconds. But um, the bunch just has so much more speed in the downhills, like a phenomenal amount more speed in, in the downhill section. So, we ended up closing that right up um, by by the bottom of the downhill and then as you saw on the T V, we turned uh we turned left, I think, through a small town and yeah. the G C T crushed that forty second gap that they had in the space of about five hundred meters.
0: <laughs> yeah, Astana were like um, were trying in that in that crosswind section.
2: Yeah. Um but yeah, I think like it's about three hundred watts um, to keep Keep the brake uh, stable and um, anything over 300 watts, the, it starts to come back down. Um, when I was pulling with the, the Koenig and uh, FDJ, we we'd rotated about two and a half Ks. Okay. So, um, yeah, two and a half K turns, and then you get five Ks rest, which ends up being about six or seven minutes. So, yeah, it's not, it's not crazy strenuous, but obviously compared to sitting in the bunch at 150 watts it's double
0: is that something cuz you know you're not like 55 kilos you actually put out a large amount of absolute power is that something you've realized actually I could I'm actually pretty good at this because you know you are like 60 68 70 kilos um and but also does it do you think it has a big effect on your ability to then say next day get in a break if there's a mountaintop finish even though you say it's not like it's not the most strenuous in the world
2: but yeah there is a cost to it yeah i think um it's it's definitely something that i'm good at um the i certainly wouldn't be doing it the day before trying to get in a big move especially um with a downhill start like we had so on stage nine that was <laughs> a phenomenally hard and long not televised <laughs> not televised <laughs> um yeah i don't i don't quite get that um it was flat out racing for the first 2 hours um but yeah i mean it doesn't take much out of me i think it adds an extra 20 tss to my whole overall day but um it's also nice to do it you know not the day before but a couple of days before you actually right. want to go on a big adventure because it, it just provides a bit of load in the legs. Otherwise, you end up having three or four rest days and then trying to do all that effort. It's a bit it's a bit rough on the legs. So, yeah.
0: And speaking of break establishment, let's go back to stage seven, which was fully televised uh, on Friday, which was a really good stage. And one thing I noticed was I feel like DSM went back to Tour de France 2020 DSM where it's like, we're not going they're not going to try and chase every move. They're going to get multiple riders in the break. And they went late on the flatter section after the first climb. And I felt like that actually saved Stora and Cole a lot. Whereas I look at Jack's power numbers and you were right behind him at the end of that climb, I think. And he's done, I don't know, 440 or something for that climb. And you and Tarame were trying, you're trying to establish, establish, establish that break. Do you think a would having a just having a teammates like DSM help where they got Nico Denz sort of pulling it back for them on the, in the on the flat? They had Casper Pedersen last year, and do you think that cost you a little bit that huge effort at the start, or was there time in the stage to recover before
2: the final? Absolutely, the the start cost me a lot, um, but aside aside from that, like I was also pulling pulling and with the three man group, I think on the flat section just before the top of the climb. so with
0: the Kaha guy.
2: Yeah, yeah. We semi got away and then got caught again by Jack's group and Sivakov over the top. Yeah. So there was a massive amount of wasted energy there. But also besides that, during the actual stage where it all started to kick off with 50 Ks to go, the the DSM guys could then spread their load of, um, oh, there's a snap attack at 600 watts for 20 seconds over this small little ridge in this Spanish town, only only two of them have to follow that and then let the group, the rest of the group react over the top, and they slowly come back to it on the downhill because they're obviously not going to work with it because um, so they're trying to conserve their numbers throughout the entire day. So little things like that, obviously only having to do a third of the snap closes and real hard 500 watts, Thirty-second surges through little villages will save your legs a lot in the end. I think I ended up with nearly twenty-three minutes over over five hundred and fifty watts for the for that day. Um, I mean, the stage was only four hours ten. Yeah, it was a shortish stage. Yeah, so like all those little bits of energy, yeah, definitely count.
0: Yes, yeah, is a really good stage design. It reminded me of that Basque Country stage, actually, which would be a good race for you to go to. And we didn't really see you in the early stage races this year. I mean, maybe explain to people how that worked out. I've just experienced it. I just know it myself, how disruptive it is. You know, Australia, in case people don't know, it's actually far away from Europe. So it's a big move to <laughs> move over to Europe. Maybe explain to people like how that process worked for you and your your family and, um, yeah, the timing of it as well because you were almost straight into Tour of
2: Turkey. Yeah, yeah. The the whole whole Zoot Academy really did come at the last, the very last moment of the year, Um, basically two days before Christmas when I actually officially won the competition. So I um, wasn't able to start my visa process until February. and the spanish like like to take their time so um with with all the requirements that weren't actually illustrated on their on their website on their consular website and with all the translations and apostling that i had to do i ended up not actually physically getting to europe until the start of march um on top of that i had to do i had to do the first Moved all the way over here by myself. I wasn't able to bring Brie over because we're still waiting on her paperwork. Um, and um, yet, yeah, top of it all off, you still have to get permission from the Australian government to leave the country at the moment. So, yeah. we we got here about the start of March, and the team already had all their riders selected for the upcoming races. So, Catalunya, as much as people think that I was going to do that race, wasn't on the list. Um, Harry Nice and Torino obviously already had their squads, um, sort of down. And, um, it's, I think there was a dropout of Turkey. That's why I ended up getting that spot as well. So not being involved at the start of the season did sort of take away a bunch of those opportunities, those races that really do suit me. Um, but it also gave me the opportunity to perform at a, a lower sort of obscure race that is still pro-level, you almost say. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, but that, that won't be an issue this time because won't be going home. Um, Australia has made that uh, a bit too difficult yeah, no, this I'm- year. Yeah,
0: I know. I've accepted. I accepted as well. We spoke the other day. Is that you know, spending Christmas in Europe like, and not, it's it's not even the quarantine back there. It's you know, I got to get back here to work, and so do you. Like that's the that's the problem. So yeah, an ideal schedule for you probably would be yeah something like a Paranese, um, or yeah Catalonia Basque Country etc. What do you
2: like the old? Oh, sorry, thing. Schedule um, with uh, your yeah, Andalusia at the start, where yeah. it's supposed to be in the year, then a Catalunya, um, a Basque, something like that, like the Spanish type uh, warm ups. Because I think we'd still end up sending Vanderpool to Torino or uh, Paris Nice. Um, and then, because yeah, Vanderpool would probably do Torino still because he's going to be doing the Italian um, trifecta of Strata, Torino, then probably a Milan. Yeah. Um, and then the classics guys would probably do a Paris Nice, um, and then do opening weekend. So keeping me in the Spanish part of the the globe would probably make more sense. But once again, I'm not the sports director.
0: Yeah. And so, what do you, what what have you learned the most this year? From like now, you've actually had a consistent block of European World Tour. Burgos not World Tour, but pretty. You're racing against World Tour guys on the climbs what have you learned now with maybe this year um compared to say I guess you had sun tour and then no racing just
2: about in Australia in twenty twenty yeah yeah um probably the biggest the biggest thing is there is you now it's going to sound cliche and lots of people have said it, but the level there 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 isn't the crazy big gaps at this level anymore. Like in Australia, I could basically just do what I wanted in a race and still possibly win. But here, you've got to try and find every 1% that you can to to save the legs for the end. And um, trying to lean – you can lean on riders to do things that aren't in their interest um, to get an advantage as well. So. There's, there's little nuances like that that I'm slowly learning. I lear- I'm, I've i learned that I may not have won on stage seven, but I could certainly have saved more energy and possibly finished with Kuss and Hague if I'd lent on them more throughout the stage. You know, I probably still wouldn't have made the move with Super Gold, but I would have been there with Kuss and Hague in the end had I played my cards a bit better. But, you know, there's, there's stuff like that that, you 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 can't learn at the pro level because you don't get breaks like that and that class of rider racing flat out at lower levels well that's the thing you like
0: you got that break you've pretty much got a top five gc guy in hague who showed that yesterday in the break and it's like well he's you know at that level where I feel like he and Groschartner, yeah. You could be like you and Felix should pull because there's you got red jersey ambitions, not on me. Um, and I was actually surprised Groschartner didn't take it up a little bit earlier because he only lost red by eight seconds.
2: Just, a, just, a, just a thing on that. We did chat afterwards. He was okay. wanting to pull. Um, his team was telling him to hold off, hold off, hold off, hold off. Wait, what? But, yeah, exactly. Um,
0: well, for the imaginary Shackman up the road with Verona.
2: I, 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 don't, I don't quite know the, uh, the logic behind it. But, um, yeah, he missed down the jersey by eight seconds. He was definitely riding for that jersey. Person. I
0: know. He said it on Instagram yeah. afterwards. He was so disappointed.
2: Yeah. So,
0: Wow. Yeah. And then he lost like for three, four minutes yesterday. GC, like, done that. Wow, that's a real shame. I'm surprised by that because – like once Verona bridged, it was done. The stage was done. Yeah. At that point, it was, you had to go for GC. Um, yeah. What, what rider outside of the GC picture, just a, a random rider that we might not know, has impressed you the most this world to we like, that guy is really strong or alternatively really smart, um, like making the right moves. And you're like, that's someone who like I can learn from or someone that the public doesn't realize is like actually a hitter.
2: Um, probably Craddock's um, Craddock's ride on stage seven. True. Um, I did not see him at the front of the bunch. The front of the moves. He was suffering on every climb, and then manages to to get away when it counted towards the end. After we were all screwed attacking each other and following. Um, I and and it actually took a lot of effort for Stora to bridge across to. Um, Craddock when he did go. So, um, yeah, I think Craddock is pretty underrated. The finish didn't suit him at all. Yeah. Um, but I think I think he'll be, have his eye on stage eleven because um, I think that's a, a lot easier stage and with that flat finish, I think he can he can make something of it.
0: Speaking of stages to come, have you stage that the next week doesn't look? That great for you really there's uh stage 15 which has got a the final climb oh, i mean stage 15 has got some long climbs in it long steady climbs there's a question mark of, of whether the break will win what stages have you got bookmarked um is in the next week if any or are you just going to wait for the proper high mountain
2: ones in the third week basically i've got two stages bookmarked, stage 11 and stage 15, like you said. Um, stage 11, mainly because it's not it's not super hard enough, really, for the GC guys to make an impact. And I guess the only sprinter possibly looking at doing something on that stage might be Michael Matthews. Yeah. Um, but with stage 15, it, it really depends on the start. Like we've got, I think, 20Ks, 25Ks of... Flatish, slight uphill roads to start with. So if it's really tough and really brutal to get in, break, I'm not. not I'm probably not going to bother. I'm going to save all my energy for the third week. Um, like you said, the the stages, the way they start don't really suit me, and they're all massive roads as well. So, you know, the it's not like you can let five or ten guys go up the road and then block it. Um, it's not. It doesn't seem to be. Doesn't seem to be very juro esque, where yeah, you know they're letting ten guys go and then just blocking the road. It's it there's a there's an almighty fight for dozens of kilometers. Um, so yeah, no, I'll I'll play it by an ear. Um, see how the uh the first first uh ten or twenty k's go in these stages, but otherwise I'll be waiting for the third week.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean. That's stage 11. I don't think the way Yumbo are looking, like obviously Rogers can win that stage, but they're just showing little interest in burning their whole team pacing all day, which I think is, is fair enough. The um, question mark is whether, I don't know, like what's your. I think it's got it, the, the official profile says 800 meter punch. I think. Yeah, it depends who's in the break. If Magnus Court and Matthews are in the move, you know, Magnus Court's in the move, you'd probably be like, oh, that's not exactly great for me. But, yeah, I think, as you said, play it by ear. It's a weird – it's like the Tour de France second week. They had no mountaintop finishes in the second week of the Tour de France. Um, Yeah, yeah. It was a bit weird. Anyway, thanks for coming on, Jay. Annie will watch out for you probably on stages 17 and 18. My last question was, will you just – are you backing yourself out of the GC group? Uh, I think Dan Martin tried to do it on one of the mountain stages in the Tour de France where you're like, okay, the break's not forming, but we've got a mountaintop finish, but I'm so far down on GC, but I, if I attack and they're all, no one's really pacing, no one's going to chase me down. Is that something you're thinking about or is it only winning out of the break?
2: Um, I mean, it's it's definitely possible, especially with next week, having some hard days towards the end um and if and if and if I've literally done nothing for the for the first four or five days then yeah it could be a possibility but I certainly won't be trying that after any sort of load in my legs because they yeah they they're just uh, a bit too fast for me at the moment
0: yeah, that's fair enough. I mean <laughs> I mean first, yeah, first,
2: first world tour race here.
0: <laughs> first yeah, we I'm um, basically asking, why can't you just beat Roglic on Mountain Top Finish? It's not that hard, man.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on, Jay. Um, best of luck with the next couple of weeks of the World Tour, I'm sure we'll see you. Um, hopefully maybe racing some Italian one days afterwards. I haven't really discussed it with you, but hopefully. Thanks for Jay for making the time on his rest day in the morning, early wake up for him. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Make sure you follow him on Instagram or Twitter. He's regularly posting updates on how he's going during the race and what he's learning. And give a like down below if you enjoyed the interview. Otherwise, Benji, last thoughts on this second week. Who do you expect to be one, two, three, and GC uh, on the second rest day?
1: I think uh, Roglic first, Mas second, and Hagen based correct. on the QA. Uh, correct. <laughs> it's like it's a test. <laughs> Did I get full score here? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just think because Mal is going to be made to work, like not work, but like yeah. Mal's the one closing gaps. Mal's the one, okay, if someone needs to attack. It's Lopez, I think. And Hay can write 100% for himself. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's how it's going to go. Otherwise, I think it could be some break wins, but I think hopefully a little bit more of an exciting parkour than the Tour de France second week. But we hope you enjoyed the rest day recap podcast. We always enjoy doing these and we'll let you get on with your day. Till tomorrow. Ciao.